Welcome to the new podcast, Truth in Politics, with New York State Assemblyman David DiPietro. David is the number one rated top conservative, according to the American Conservative Union. You want the truth about New York and national politics? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Welcome, everybody, to another Truth in Politics show. I'm your host, Dave DiPietro, New York State Assemblyman from the Western New York area. This is where you get the truth in politics, not the smushy, gray area, 50 shades of gray that you get from out of all the other politicians in the country and in New York State. You get the truth here, folks, unfiltered, uncensored, straight from me, on the floor, so thanks for being with me. You're listening to the Big Weck Podcast Network. Go to bigweck.com, W-E-C-K, big, W-E-C-K.com, and also listen to us on Facebook. We have a great show lined up for you. I have Mike, Michael Caputo, a great friend of mine, coming on the show today, and we are going to talk about Trump versus DeSantis, what is actually happening, not what you're hearing from CBS and ABC and the mainstream media because they're trying to destroy both of them. Okay, you're going to hear it from what is actually happening from in Washington and in New York State and the lawsuits and, and the, the phony corruption of them trying to go after Donald Trump in New York State. So with that, I want to give you a quick update because we are four weeks past the allotted budget in New York State. We have done our fourth extender. What does that mean? It means that we get to pay everybody but the elected officials, excluding Governor Hochul. She gets paid. Okay, make sure, make no doubt about it. When she goes out there and says, well, these politicians, we're not, they're not going to get paid for not doing their job. She still gets paid 100%, just so you know that. And when she talks about politicians not doing their job, she's talking about Democrats, folks. It's Democrats have super majority in the Assembly, super majority in the Senate, not just majority, super majority. There is no Republican involved in these budget talks whatsoever. Three men in a room are all Democrats. I hope you understand that. And they're all far-left Democrats, too. Communists, as I call them, because it's time to call it what it is. It's called communism, folks. It's not even socialism anymore. There's about 16 registered communists in the Assembly out of their 100 members, out of 150. So make no mistake, make us, make no mistake about it. We are talking about communists running the show, putting this budget together, and they did another extender because they can't even come close in their own stupid party. We're sitting here on our hands waiting for something to happen when three people in a room, this is like you, your mother, and your father sitting down and talking about what color car you want, okay? <laughs> They can't even come up with the right color. This is so dysfunctional. These people are so out of control. And let me tell you something else. They're mentally out of control. Okay? These are not the brightest people in the tool shed here, the sharpest tool. These people are incompetent, starting with Governor Hochul. Okay? You listened to Hochul over the years, and I did. She actually represented me for one year when she was in Congress, and she was also my county clerk, which she left as a disaster. Just Google that, folks. She had no clue what she was doing. She left millions of dollars of checks uncashed at the county clerk's office and caused headaches for so many homeowners and businesses. 
because their checks weren't being cashed. They were going into default, and they're like, what's going on? I sent this check in six months ago, nine months ago. And when she left, they found boxes of this stuff in Erie County, where I'm from. Okay? She had no clue. Same with being the governor. She tries to blame it on everybody else but herself. You know, I remember when she was a semi-pro-life congresswoman. I remember when she was an A1-rated NRA member, pro-gun, right to the max. When she was a pro-small business and stumped on helping businesses. When she tried to make herself as a conservative Democrat. And funny, funny how these people with no plumb line... No conviction, no moral standard whatsoever. Don't tell me she's got morals, folks, because she has none. She hasn't stuck with anything that she's ever come out on. She did a 180 on every single one of those major plumb line core issues. Let me tell you something. You're either pro-life or you're not. There's no middle ground. You're either pro-gun or you're not. There is no middle ground. You believe in God or you don't. There's a lot of things which we grow up in, and we're pretty, pretty straightforward in what we are. I like women. I don't like women. Okay? It's pretty straightforward. But not with her. I'll tell you one thing. If she tells me the sky's blue, I take everything I'm holding, I put it down on the ground, and I look up for about five seconds to make sure. Because I would never believe a word she says. And with this budget... They are just in a, in a spiral downfall. New York State is burning, folks, and Democrats are fiddling. They're fiddling away. While we've got the biggest exodus out of this state year after year after year to the point where we were averaging for 20 years, two decades, about 220,000 people a year. That's 2.2 million. While the country's grown by 15, 20 million, and we're losing to now, in the last couple of years during COVID, we lost over a million people in one year. A million people. And right now, all the conservative estimates are we are losing over 1,000 to 1,500 people a day. That's a half a million. We lost last year, I think it was, a half a million, 600,000 people. The only thing that kept the number from growing higher is that we've just really exploded our permanent welfare. They're moving over to this state because they get every single benefit in the books. So they're moving to New York. From 20 to 2010, 2000, 2010, the estimate was we lost 2.2 million people. I've got the numbers. That's 220,000 a year, which is right on what it was. But we didn't lose that, folks. We lost about 3 million because we imploded about 800,000 permanent welfare people onto our rolls. And we're doing that now when we lost a million. Just remember, three years ago, folks, Florida had one and a half million people more than New York State. We were second or third. They were the one behind us. And in just two plus years, three years, Florida now has over two and a half million more people than New York. Imagine that. And we're sitting here with this budget going, what's going on? She's thrown billions of dollars, B, 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 that's a B with a billion, billion, at Democrats for their pet projects. They say there's no pork in Albany. They go back and say, no, the government, they took away pork 10 years ago. Nobody gets pork. Baloney, that's a lie, right to your face. If anyone ever tells you that, stop. 
Stop. It's a lie. Democrats get all the pork in the world. Republicans get zip, zero, zilch, nada. Democrats get billions of dollars. And they got all their special projects. And they put it in the budget. And they make it look like, oh, these are budget items we need to take care of. It's all pork. Talking billions of dollars. And this budget now, she's thrown, she's thrown, we've talked about it on the floor, because she wanted to have an on-time budget this year. So what did she do back in, in November, December, January, while she was putting her executive budget together and working with the Democrat leadership in both houses? She was throwing money at them, saying, look, I'll give you an extra billion. I'll give you an extra two billion here, a billion here. She gave them about four to five billion dollars to get their votes. And you know what? It didn't work because... And she's sitting there scratching her head. She gave them all this money to try and get an on-time budget. And they just took the money because that's what Democrats do. They spend. There's not enough money in the United States to satisfy and quench their thirst for power and lust in money. I hope you understand that. There's not enough money. People are fleeing out of this state and they don't care. I can't afford it here. We're the highest taxed. I can't afford to live in my home. I can't afford, I'm getting, I'm, I'm losing my job because my business can't stay open. They don't care. I hope you realize that. They don't care. They have complete control for five years. There's not a thing, one thing a Republican can do. Not one. They've had five years to fix this. And you know what? It keeps getting worse. And then they sit there and blame it. Well, we've got good intentions. Your good intentions are, they blow. Sorry. Your good intentions are crap. Because all your policies fail. Communism fails. Socialism fails. And that's all they do. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, folks, but this isn't getting any better. When this budget is finally done, it will be the worst budget in the history of New York State. It is, look at all, go online and Google it. The number one term they use to describe this budget from Democrats, Republicans, uh, What's her name? Who's the uh, Stuart Cousins, the head of the Senate majority, said her quote was, this is the most policy laden budget in history of New York. It's all policy. It's not budget. They haven't talked a dollar because they've got all the money in the world. They've spent they're spending every penny and bonding and borrowing more. It's not about the money. Don't let them ever tell you. It's not about a budget. This isn't a great budget. This isn't a sound budget. This is a horrible budget. It's a bankrupt budget. Where they're fighting is on policy, which should never be in the budget. Last week, I debated a bill, along with a few of us, on the abortion medication, which before you would have to go to a doctor and get the checkup because it's a dangerous drug. It's two pills. The first pill... Uh, kills the baby, and then the second pill you take a day or so later expunges it out of your body, okay? You, you, you get rid of it. The woman gets rid of it. It kills it, and then it gets, gets rid of it, okay? Now they passed a law last week that all SUNY and CUNY schools, regardless of age, regardless of anything, there's no doctors, there's no health care physician, there's nothing. You can just automatically get it anywhere in New York State now, any girl, any age. It's very dangerous, If one in a million persons has a problem with any other social issue, the Democrats scream to high heaven, we've got to change the law. Somebody gets shot, get rid of all guns, right? We're looking at three in a hundred, approximately three women out of a hundred need serious medical help with this drug. 
and they don't care. And they tried to poo-poo it. Doesn't matter. Remember, this is New York State. Kill your baby at all costs. No questions asked. Nothing. We don't care even if the woman gets hurt. She has the right to kill the baby at any time. And you remember, New York State is a full-term post-abortion lawed state. You heard it right, folks. Yes, you can kill the baby after it's born. As long as the doctor holds the baby up, the woman says, as long as it's still attached to the umbilical cord, right? The woman can look at the doctor and say, I don't want that baby. The doctor, by law, has to kill it, snip its neck and kill it. Or he is subject to losing his license to practice in New York State. Now, the Democrats will say, oh, no. Look, I've debated it with 100 different attorneys in the last 10 years. This has been my issue. And that's exactly what the law says. They've taken out all provisions against any legal ramifications. No longer does it have to be the health of the mother. Because we argue on the floor. Look, if she's got a headache, can she terminate the baby? Well, that's never going to happen. It does. It's taken out of the law. So if she says, I don't want it for any reason, it's got to be terminated. I know I'm getting off on a little tangent there because I got Mike Caputo coming in. But I really wanted to let you know that this budget is the worst in history. We're still waiting on it. Democrats can't make up their mind. They can't get together. There's no unity in the Democrat Party. Big fights, big division on the floor. You got the far left communists. You've got whatever's left because AOC has taken out the moderate Democrats, about 20 of them in her five years and put her socialists and communists in. Uh, so there's a huge division on the, the floor. Uh, the Senate is, is overrun with communists uh, and they're the ones enacting all these policies. And that's why everyone's leaving New York state. And I say everyone, because pretty much everyone I talk to has said, if I could get out, I would. The only thing keeping me here in New York state is my family. That's the number one, right? But, but, Look, I don't want to supersede Andrew Cuomo, the smartest man in the room, who said the only reason people are leaving New York State is because of the weather. <laughs> what a moron. So let's bring on, uh, I want to just, before I go, Big Weck Podcast Network. Go that. Tell your friends. They can listen to me here. The big W-E-C-K podcast, bigweck.com and on Facebook. Tell your friends. If you like what you're hearing, let them hear the truth uncensored about politics in New York State. And now I'd like to bring on a good friend. We want to talk about the Trump versus DeSantis. I want to bring on my great friend, uh, Michael Caputo, who worked for Donald Trump, who's been in the White House hundreds of times, who's been part of the team. Uh, So let's bring on Mike Caputo. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the show. Great to hear from you. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, of course, of course. You know, a big topic that I've been seeing in the paper and that we've been talking about nationally, and I know you're right in the middle of it, is the Trump versus DeSantis race in uh, that's, that's heated up, and I guess DeSantis has taken the gloves off a little bit, and Trump's uh, you know, trying to get out of that stupid hot water, which if you want to call it that, in New York State with Alvin Bragg. Um, I wanted to get your take on um, DeSantis, because when I listen to or look at CBS, ABC, the mainstream media, they just want to, besides hammering both of them because they hate them, they want to say that DeSantis is dead in the water uh, and they're trying to really back him out. And personally, I don't believe any polling this far out of a, 
election because if you listen to polling uh, a year and a half or so or more away from the election uh, in 2016, Hillary Clinton was a slam dunk. Uh, you know, Donald Trump wasn't even in the race per se. I mean, so you can't listen to any of that stuff. So what, what's your take on this, this, this battle brouhaha? Well, I'll tell you, um, you know, this is not my first rodeo. Uh, the first Republican primary that I worked on staff, I was head of the writers group for Jack Kemp in 1988. So I, I've been around a little bit, and I can tell you from my experience that polling that is taken nine months before the first contest in a presidential primary is carefully designed to positively impact the revenues of the pollster. Beyond that, there's zero value in them. But the pollsters got to make money, and they're out there taking polls and selling them to whoever will take them. In addition, the other people who pay attention to this are reporters who are trying to look precious, you know, people who are trying to look smart. In the end, the only polls that matter at this point are individual early states. For example, New Hampshire, you know, Iowa, Super Tuesday State. Don't forget, Florida, I think, is the fifth primary right. in the circuit in 2024. So polls in these individual states, they matter because you're setting up your team, you're focusing on what county you're in. But if you aren't uh, taking a large enough sample in individual early primary states, to understand at the county level where you reside in the support you know, rankings, then you're not really doing anything. I would say that national polls, nine months out, are completely valueless to the strategy. And but, you know, in the end, you know, uh, I think, Dave, what we're seeing here is the old uh, kill it in the crib strategy. Um, uh, and, and the people around Trump are really good at it. No, I, I agree. And and in, in, in these polls I'm looking at, uh, the one that CBS did had Trump killing DeSantis, but they were polling Democrats also. And I was I looked at the right. backside and I'm like, what's this about? Okay, who did, did this poll throw in the garbage? Why would they even have the guts to print that? But that's where we're at with that one. And and uh, you know, and you've got a good insight. Well, they, you worked they, for. It, it, it's almost golfy, and you know the pollsters have to pay their club fee. So uh, their polls rolling out right now just because they got bills to pay. Right. So <laughs> how do you think uh, Trump makes any, because he lives there, uh, do you think Trump makes any inroads, let's say, you know, in a crystal ball down the road in Florida, or do you think San- DeSantis wipes him out because of he's, his policies and his, his governor? Well, you know, I'm down here, as you know. Right. Um, uh, and I, you know, I recommend, I know you represent your, your constituents proudly and, and, and you love being from, uh, Western New York, but my advice is for all uh, Republicans and certainly any uh, uh, New Yorker uh, to get the hell out of the state <laughs> and get out now while you still can. <laughs> but right. down here in Florida, this is where, you know, we call it uh, crib death. Crib death is the leading cause of the end of campaigns. Crib death. A campaign that didn't get off on the right foot. A campaign that didn't raise money early enough. A campaign that didn't garner uh, uh, enough endorsements early. And what Donald Trump did is actually brilliant. And, and I don't just assign that to Trump. I assign it to Susie Wiles, who is his right-hand person. I assign it especially to Chris Lasavita, who is a guy from my generation, uh, a really well-known winner in Republican 
politics. I ascribe this to his pollsters, McLaughlin and, and Fabrizio. They are this killing it in the crib strategy, making sure that the baby never gets out of the crib, that the, the DeSantis campaign doesn't actually get to a running start, right? This, this involves basically what we might call a Jeb Bush strategy, right? If you remember, Jeb Bush got out of the 2016 race before Florida because he could not take the, what was clearly coming, and that was a defeat by Donald Trump in the Florida primary. He got out even before it. And what we see in Florida is very similar. Now, now mind you, um, it's very important for people to understand it's a very different race. Susie's there because Chris is there because Tony and John are there. The, the, the people around Trump, he has the strongest political team he's ever had by far at this point. The strongest political team he's ever had. And what's happening this year, this primary, is so very different from the 2016 primary. I remember... After Nevada, I was the director of Trump uh, uh, 16 in New York, as you remember. You were one of the senior uh, uh, elected officials on the board of it. Right. Uh, one of the, you were, I think, the earliest endorser. Uh, in the country. In the country yeah. from all elected officials, which showed you know, intestinal fortitude, I think, on your part. But let's not deny uh, former Congressman Chris Collins his due. Yep. Because he called he was a Bush supporter, like most people were, when like many people were, and he saw with Nevada that it was over. Uh, and right after the Nevada primary, uh, he called me up and he said, "Michael, you know, I want to jump off of Bush and get on to Trump. He's a businessman. I think he's the right guy. I always did. I just didn't know he was going to run. So, uh, can you talk to him?" So I called, you know, as the New York director, I called the campaign and I said, "Look, you know." You're going to you're going about to get your first House of Representatives endorsement. It's a great thing. So when should Collins do this? And the campaign in reply said, oh, we don't care. We don't really do endorsements. He can do it or not. We don't care. And, you know, maybe hold it for a couple of weeks. And it was that on my eyes got wide as pie plates. I couldn't believe they weren't doing this. They weren't working on endorsements. But at the, in 2016, it was a very different team. Now it's very important. Living in Florida, you see the crib death strategy moving forward. The Trump PAC, uh, Make America Great Again PAC, I think it's called, they, they're running ads in Florida on the regular, on everything, especially on Fox and other, you know, kind of conservative right-leaning uh, 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 networks. They're running ads painting uh, uh, Ron DeSantis' houseboats to cut Social Security uh, and to raise the retirement age and other issues for a decidedly, you know, uh, graying population in Florida. Uh, the, the average age of the Republican primary voter in Florida is quite a bit higher than, let's say, in New York. So they're pummeling DeSantis with ads, painting him as anti-retiree. At the same time, Trump is, forget about the Chris Collins experience in 2016, Trump himself is calling the congressman in, in Florida right. saying, I want your endorsement. Himself. You know, Ron DeSantis was organizing an, a tour of Washington for this week, and his political director called the, the congressional offices. He didn't even himself call. This Trump strategy now, he's nailed down, I think, 10, 9 or 10 of the Republicans in the congressional delegation out of Florida. So now we see this. Florida is the 
is ground zero for the kill it in the crib strategy. If you're a Republican political operative and you know how to do the crib death, you know, kill it in the crib anti-campaign strategy, you're working in Palm Beach right now. And I think it's one of the most effective crib death strategies I've ever seen in politics. Really? See, yeah, I, I do. I don't think it's really going to dissuade DeSantis. I mean, I don't know DeSantis well. I've met him a few times. He's a very different kind of cat than, than Donald Trump is. But, you know, he's only, what, 42 years old? He's very young. He's very effective. And he's got to be looking at his congressional leaders, you know, lead jumping ship, the ads that are just beating the crap out of him in his own state, and all the other activity behind the scenes that the Trump team is doing. He's got to see this as a very difficult hill to climb. Well, I looked it up, uh, Mike. I was reading today one of the congressmen down there was literally freaking out. He did an interview, and and one of one of the quotes was, "He goes, I I don't know what to do here because I can't get I can't get involved, you know, because he literally saying I've got DeSantis as my governor and I've got Trump, and and I, I there's a, it's like a no win situation for him. So he's like uh, he's like I'm trying to stay, you know, he's going to be Switzerland, I guess. You know how does he? How does well, he, you what, know Switzerland is not a town in Florida. I can tell you that not in this <laughs> political year. He's yeah. not going to be able to do that. I don't know which one you're talking about, but you know the congressmen uh, 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 in Florida are in a bad spot. Yeah, because that's if they meant. don't endorse Trump, they will never darken the doorstep of Mar-a-Lago or the White House if he wins. And if they don't endorse DeSantis, the same thing goes for Tallahassee and the White House if he wins. Exactly. Right. They're in a tough spot. So, but I can tell you, Donald Trump's strategy is more effective than DeSantis' strategy just by the scoreboard. Gotcha. So let me ask you about Chris Christie and his comments about DeSantis. Uh, I don't know if you really? saw those. Chris Christie, <laughs> of all people, chimed okay. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> well, he was chiming in, and he was bashing DeSantis. Now, and all of a sudden, I was like, where did this what what rock did this guy crawl out from under? Okay, this guy's been irrelevant for years. So why are the newspapers picking up what he says? Who cares what Chris Christie says? But he was bashing well, DeSantis and so talking about the crib death and saying uh, he's got no no uh, there's no uh, avenue for victory with DeSantis and and he's dead man walking and he started bashing him about his politics and I, I just I was, I was it really got me upset in the fact that. Chris Christie's a nobody. He's always been a rhino, and uh, I wouldn't. I, 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 I there, there's nothing to him. Get, you know, walk away and go away and, and enjoy your retirement in New Jersey, which is another hole, just like New York State. Okay, and uh, your 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 political views are irrelevant. But I didn't know if you had seen what he had said. Yeah, I have, and I I, I pay attention to Christie because I know him. You know, I've I've had you know I've dined with him. I, I he's a, a kind of a hail fellow, well met, you know, kind of guy you want to. Uh, you know, play basketball with, but you know, I, I don't think he's actually touched the basketball in his lifetime. The fact is, however, that uh, DeSantis is, uh, in, in, if you're looking at the, the the lay of the land, DeSantis is the bogey that that uh, that Chris Christie has to look at because he's from the establishment rhino wing of the party. DeSantis, while he's not a rhino and he's not establishment, is rolling up those those votes, those donors, because they think, you know, the people on the rhino side and the liberal Republican side uh, believe he's their only hope. So DeSantis, DeSantis is where Christie's got to go for uh, for votes and for money. 
And if he can make the case against DeSantis, uh, he can gain some speed. If he cannot make the case against DeSantis, he will never have the opportunity to make the case against Trump. Got to go after DeSantis first. And that's really the, the problem Trump supporters need to understand is this. If we don't have seven, eight candidates in this race, then Donald Trump's going to have a tougher time to win the primary. If there's not you know, multiple candidates you know, splitting up uh, uh, the, the never-Trump vote in the Republican Party, Donald Trump's going to have a bit of a difficult. But, you know, here's the thing, and I think, Dave, you and I have talked about this many times. Donald Trump has 33% of immutable support in right. the Republican primary. Right. They will never leave him. 33% of a likely Republican primary voters will never leave Donald Trump. Then he's got another, call it 10%, depending on the poll you read, of people who were like, I, I, I might vote for Trump again, but you know, I'd like to look around a little bit. That 10%, you can count on getting some of them as well, what we consider soft support, you know, easy gets, right? right. So if you walk and just, just play it conservatively, if he walks into the primaries with upwards of 40% immutable support, or at least support immutable support plus likely support, um, he's almost impossible to beat. Almost right. impossible to beat. Right, especially so, if, it, there's, it, if there's especially if there's five or seven or eight candidates. That's that's. I want nine. You know, I want maybe ten. I'd like to see a baker's dozen. You know, <laughs> listen, I, everybody. Look, the president told me, you know, that he really wanted to walk into this thing without a an opponent. I understand that because uh, I I agree with him. He really is, uh, you know, technically not an incumbent, but to to me and to many of his supporters, he is an incumbent, and he deserves a shot to right. take back the office that they that they wrecked for him. Right. For, yep. But he wasn't going to get that. And, and here's why, Dave, and you know this. The Republican Party loves primaries. And we especially love presidential primaries, as long as they're based upon issues, right? If we're discussing issues and we come out united, it's a very healthy process. If you look at Donald Trump's Super PAC ad in Florida, it's 100% issues. The problem we're seeing is that some of the vitriol between the president and some of the president's supporters and some of the DeSantis supporters is really, really bad stuff. Turns off, let's say, uh, middle-aged female voters, which Donald Trump needs. Turns off young voters, which Donald Trump needs. He needs to convert a certain number of those folks to his cause. And uh, what's really happening, I don't know, Dave, if you've seen what's going on on Twitter right now, but there's a real battle there. No, I haven't seen that one. I'm not a Twitter. Oh, well, there's, there's people, uh, young people, who support Donald Trump going after young people who support DeSantis. Um, and from my perspective, I've actually uh, come down uh, kind of hard on the, the Trump supporters. They're making uh, uh, disgraceful photos of known uh, DeSantis supporters, female DeSantis supporters, making them look like Stormy Daniels. I mean, you don't do that. Right. You know, when, when you have a presidential candidate, uh, uh, for good or for bad, you know, you know, uh, and, and lies or truth who has been accused of, you know, sexual misconduct, you don't go out there and, 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 and you know, make memes that say that uh, a lawyer, a female lawyer, is Stormy Daniel. You don't compare a woman to a, a blackmailing sex worker. You just don't do that, right? And I've, I, they're going back and forth at, at, at gutter levels of politics in 
aside uh, this Twitter stuff, you know, Twitter is a minefield. It's a sewer, and it's really an echo chamber. But th- there are a lot of young people who think that races are won and lost in social media, and the battle on social media is particularly bloody right now. I get it. So, as you know, summer's coming up, and summer's a dead time in politics. So we're talking about other candidates, and I haven't really heard anybody else. Do you do you see anybody else besides these two? Not, I mean, sure, even jumping out. I do. I, I think Tim's got put up his exploratory committee. I think he gets in. You do. Okay. I, I, there are some people who call these exploratory committees vice presidential campaign committees. Gotcha. Right. Um, I think we'll see four or five people get in. Uh, the problem is, I don't think we're going to see the kind of crowded primary that the Trump team wants. I mean, they didn't want anybody. But if they're going to have somebody, they want as many as possible. And I, I think it's going to be four, five candidates, most of them unserious. Um, and it, it's on, if DeSantis does get in, if he counts the votes in Florida and thinks he can make it through Florida, um, I think Donald Trump, he can give Donald Trump a run for his money. No, I agree. And it really, it is, again, about money. DeSantis is a prodigious fundraiser. Uh, Donald Trump... Uh, has enough money to, to, to outspend DeSantis. But as you know, Dave, from our experience, Donald Trump doesn't like spending his own money on this yeah. politics stuff. He wants to raise it. Deep, deep. And then you got all these legal attacks coming down to him, mostly bogus. Uh, but that's not going to be helpful. So I think it's going to be a tough race. Yeah, deep pocket, short arms. Um. Yeah, right. You know, but the problem is, right? <laughs> but, but really long red tide. So um, when do you think they start going to DeSantis and, and Trump? When will it heat up where they actually start going to Iowa and New Hampshire, start making the rounds and, and kissing babies? Well, I think DeSantis is out there now. Okay. Uh, uh, and, uh, and Trump will be out there. He's already out there. So he'll be out there. I'm actually going to be, be with him tonight um, down here in Florida. Uh, their schedule is getting more and more busy. Um, and, uh, you know, right now, for example, I'm catching him, uh, in a private, uh, reception before a Lee County, Florida Republican party reception that's completely sold out and people are begging for tickets and they're, they're so expensive. You cannot believe it. Right. Really? And that's because, yes, you know, who is not there, who is not there is Ron DeSantis. So the battle is Florida right now. It's, you may want to go to Iowa. You may want to go to, to you know, Concord, New Hampshire. You may want to go to other states. Las Vegas would be good right now, right? But the fact of the matter is, if Ron, what, the bellwether for Ron DeSantis is Florida. Right. If well, he sees his numbers in Florida in a bad state, he will not run for president. Well, let me ask. So, yeah, yeah so the, the killing it in the crib thing. But I think it's a good strategy on Trump. He ties DeSantis down in his home state. Trump's already been the president. Yeah. He's been to 50 states. He's got, everyone knows who he is. Uh, DeSantis, he, he needs to get out and, and start hitting some other states and, and, and really making a move. And Trump's strategy is keeping him keeping his feet tied down in his own state. That's great strategy, I'd say. Yeah, it is. But, you know, uh, they have a law in Florida called the resign to run law. If you're running for an office that puts you in, uh, in the new office with victory, uh, before your present term of service in your present office expires, you must resign to run for it. And there are some states around the country that have this law. Um, there are some, there's some calculus around that. Uh, 
there is a law, a draft law, a bill in the Florida legislature right now to uh, to override the resign to run law in a satisfactory way that will allow DeSantis to run. Um, and so that's sitting there. Uh, secondly, there are others who say the resign to run is actually a good thing for DeSantis because if he resigns, according to a minutia of the Florida law, if he resigns, runs, and then loses, he can run for governor again. Because remember, it's a, it, it's a term-limited state, but if he's resigned in his second term, there's a loophole in Florida law that lets him come back and run again. Awesome. So there are some that say that he's got to wait for the resign-to-run bill to be overturned. By the way, the Florida legislative session is over May 5, so if it's not passed in the next several days, he's definitely, if he's going to run, he's going to be on a resign uh, uh, strategy. But if it passes, he won't, he won't resign. And he will run uh, without that resign-to-run law. We will know a lot in the next several days. That's wild. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Mike. I love the perspective. Hey, Dave, can I tell you one more thing? Yeah. You should move to Florida, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. I, I see what you go through every day in Albany. I watch this disordered, it, 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 you, know, uh, you know, stunted governor of ours, uh, Kathy Hochul, and I watched the disgraceful state legislature. What they're doing to New Yorkers is worse than what Biden is doing to this nation. That's right. The one great thing about Biden doing this is that we have governors that protect us, governors like DeSantis, right? Who I, I moved to Florida because of DeSantis and many other reasons. But, you know, from my perspective, uh, DeSantis, while he is opposing my favorite candidate, is an incredible governor. There are great governors in this state. It's a small number, but it's obvious who they are. People of New York, pack your bag, go to St. Well, they are, they've taken your advice for, for a lot of years now, Mike, and they are, as you know. A thousand a day, yeah. into, a thousand a day from New York into Florida alone, right? So it's true. It's a shame, but New York is over, and Western New York leads the parade. Yeah, I know. We're, uh, we're barely hanging on. So, well, thanks, Mike. We'll get you back on. Love having you. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. You've been listening to the Big Weck Podcast, W-E-C-K, the Big Weck Podcast Network. And this is go to bigweck.com and find us on Facebook on Dave DiPietro. Remember, folks, I've read the end of the book. We win. God is still on the throne. Get saved. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the new podcast, Truth in Politics, with New York State Assemblyman David DiPietro. We welcome you to download and listen to the new podcast every week online at truthinpolitics.social and on numerous podcast platforms, including Apple, Amazon, and Spotify. Connect with David on social media and at truthinpolitics.social. The Truth in Politics podcast is done in partnership with Radio 1 Buffalo, LLC.